0: It's not the busiest airline market in the world, but in recent weeks, it's been the most dramatic. I'm, of course, talking about Iceland, where Iceland Air and WOW Air have been beating each other up for years. At long last, the other shoe finally dropped in early November when the two airlines set out to merge. But that deal fell through, and shortly after the merger was pronounced dead, it was announced that WOW Air now by mega airline investor Indigo Partners. So, where does that leave us? Well, for one thing, it leaves us with a lot of questions, which we're going to get to. I'm Jason Cottrell, a founding member of Airline Weekly. And speaking of drama, if the airline industry were a stage, he would be our theater critic. Joining me is (laughs) Seth Kaplan, the current editor of Airline Weekly. In addition to Iceland, we'll talk about Aeroflot's aspirations, Mexico's missing airport, success at SAS, and how the U.S. airlines have turned more bullish. And bullish is how we like it here in the Airline Weekly Lounge. Thanks for joining us. We're beginning the show in Iceland in the wake of the now-dead merger between Iceland Air and Wowair, and Wowair's potential re- rescuer, Indigo Partners. But before we get to the current drama, let's go back a few months before even talk of a merger. I have a basic question. Is Iceland able to support two international airlines? Was it not crazy to see two carriers serving the Cleveland to Reykjavik route? Yeah, or or three flying from Dallas Fort Worth to Reykjavik. In that case, uh, American
1: Airlines joined the prey along with, uh, along with those two. Uh, look, I mean, it, it, no, it wasn't sustainable, and that's why we're seeing what what we're seeing. You know, there's um, there's such a thing. You know, we we ran a. A quote in the front page, in our verbulence. It's kind of our quote in the week and the front page of Airline Weekly this week. It just, it just hit me as I'm answering this. It was a different context. It was, it was uh, about WestJet, but I want to read it to you. It's uh, so this is a, one of WestJet's uh, executives said this. There is no amount of profitability that excess capacity can't kill. No amount of profitability that excess capacity can't kill. And in Iceland, it's uh, it's a capacity story. Um, yeah, demand is up. Yeah, people have really discovered Iceland. I mean, part, partly thanks to all the all the cheap flights there, but it, it just got out of hand with all the uh, capacity. So it's um, you know it's 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 two airlines um, chasing the same market, along with other airlines from, from both sides of Iceland uh, who have gone in on it. In some cases, defensively, it's. American obviously did in that case from uh, DFW to Reykjavik. and then just regardless of the number of players, I mean it's just too many seats uh, in, in in the market relative to uh, to the size of the market. Even with all of the sixth freedom, you know the international to international connections. Of course, not everybody who's flying these airlines is, is even going to visit Iceland. A lot of them just found a cheap way to get between. Uh, Europe and North America, uh, or in some cases, now between North America and India, you know, those sorts of things. But uh, that, that Wow is doing in its case, yeah, uh, it, it was it was just all too much, and the merger was supposed to solve uh the problem, restore things back to where they were a few years ago, when um, Iceland Air was was a, a, a respectably profitable airline.
0: So it was very soon after the merger was dropped that. Wow announced that Indigo was interested. Do you think Icelandair thinks that Wow had Indigo as a backup offer during the merger negotiations? It's
1: a good question. Uh, you know, clearly, there there are some th- things here in terms of the sequence that uh, that we that we don't know uh, at this point, right? Because that all did happen fairly quickly. The merger was off, and uh, and then and came into go. Gosh, I think it was about a day later. And so, you know, whether uh, you know Wow knew that. And, um, you know, I mean, essentially they had this, this deal in principle and then they had to finish the details. But um, even once you have uh, that, you know, that, that, that letter of intent or that understanding, you know, if, if things change in the world that sort of make a company maybe feel either more emboldened or less so to hold firm in terms of certain conditions. Yeah. You know, if they knew they had a backup plan, they might have been, they might have felt more brazen about not giving in, even on just certain minor points, than had they not thought uh, there was a backup. Although again, that's all just sort of speculation. The sequence was the merger was off, and then uh, you know here here came uh, IntoGo Partners, and and I would guess that under the terms of the the, the, the LOI, we don't know this, that you know nobody else would have formally been able to do anything you know that would have persuaded wow to 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 go a different direction yeah uh look iceland there kind of had its hands tied there was only so much it could do i mentioned when i was answering the last question it, it, it used to be a, a a perfectly profitable company you know it's not anymore and um it, things have gotten so bad that it too you know it has its own covenants with lenders and 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 those sorts of things where it can't just do absolutely anything it wanted to and if it was you know, laying out money for this company, this other company whose finances were rapidly deteriorating, uh, you know, it had other people um, to to answer to. Now, look, I mean, I, it's hard to imagine any scenario where WoW stays in business and things are better for Iceland there than they would have been with a merger. Uh, you know, the merger, even though it would have, you know, there would have been some cost and complexity at first, you know, not having WoW as an independent competitor anymore, was 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 a really big deal uh you know and 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 right now there's just all sorts of uncertainty for iceland there that persists that wouldn't have been the case uh you know had had they been able to to uh complete this this merger yeah this this is where they are now they're they're facing the uh the, the very real possibility now that wow is here in some form or fashion anyway we'll have to see for for the long run
0: Indigo has a terrific record of invigorating ultra low cost carriers, but Wow is a low cost long haul carrier, which is a model we don't much believe in. Seth, I don't want to get you started. Indigo says it has a strategic vision for the airline. Clearly, Indigo knows what it's doing, but what's it doing?
1: <laughs>
0: and, and, and by the way, you know they
1: haven't batted a thousand uh, you know, to use the the, uh, the U.S. The, the baseball expression for you. Know, they don't have a perfect record. Bill Frankie the head of Indigo partners in this case not uh, not the firm itself but you know invested in Pluna down in down in uh in Uruguay some years ago that didn't go well you know they have they've, they've made mistakes um uh, the, the uh Avianova rather in Russia they you know, tried to back a Russian ultra low cost carrier uh didn't go well at all so They've made mistakes, you know. So in this case, part of the calculation, I'm sure, is that they're just not spending very much money. Uh, you know, we don't know what they're paying, but we know uh, Iceland there wasn't going to be paying very much. Um, so uh, I'm sure part of the calculation here is not necessarily that they think this is a slam dunk. they're gonna the sports analogy, right? Basketball in that case, um, but but that it's just a, a tolerable level of risk. Uh, uh, that said, t- to address what you said about low cost long haul, you know, it's interesting. Um, wow is they're they're longish haul right but they are different from some of the others in the sense that first of all they have just one wide body you know twin aisle aircraft right now one a330 uh that they seem to be struggling to figure out what to you know how to how to deploy it um most productively you know trying now the main airports in Miami and San Francisco instead of uh Fort Lauderdale and Oakland and you know that sort of thing but um but anyway you know the, the rest of the fleet and then they do have another several uh, 330s uh, actually neos doing uh, 330s on order but you know the rest of the fleet is narrow body um and yes yeah, they are longish average stage lengths you know this is not norwegian flying dreamliners um all the way across the atlantic you know this this is iceland with its favorable geography where you can do narrow body flying deeply into europe and and um and to a good number of cities uh in in north america so you know part of the issue we've talked about it before and it's you know it's possible to sort of conflate these different issues and and yeah in the end they are related but when we talk about the issues of low cost long haul flying, you know part of it is the stage lengths. Yeah, no question. You know, when you look at a lot of the most profitable low cost carriers around the world, the average stage lengths are very short, a lot shorter than than Wow's average stage length. You know, on the other hand, it's it's it, yeah the aircraft. I mean, there's there's that too, right? The long the long haul tends to imply uh, wide bodies, which which Wow doesn't have um, very many of. And and very and that's a whole other discussion. Sort of when you look at that list of the world's most profitable airlines, you know most of them. I think we've talked about it before on the show. You know there's there's surprisingly few wide body uh, oriented carriers on there. You know they're all either low cost carriers or you know you'll get airlines that in, in a few cases certainly are global airlines that have their shared wide bodies, but they don't tend to be those for the most part. Uh, Air airlines that are particularly oriented toward long haul flying or toward uh, uh, or toward toward wide body, you know, toward having wide bodies in their fleet. So, so anyway, it's just to say that um, this isn't a classic low cost long haul carrier. You know, this happens to be this this island that's positioned where it is, um, where you can do put the you you can serve these two continents with flying that's uh, that's not all that long. Not so different from uh, an airline like the. copa in panama um which flies deep into south america and you know deep into north america all with well you know, basically all uh, 737s no wide bodies anyway you know said some years ago by the way we wrote a cover story in airline weekly where we called iceland air the cold weather copa at the time it was doing very well obviously far less profitable now than it was then the uh, there are reasons to think that wow before the capacity got completely out of hand uh, what was not as badly positioned uh, as you know as a Norwegian somebody like that, um, but it, it 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 just it did get out of hand, and this is an airline that uh, you know uh, clearly is struggling very badly now.
0: You touched on the fact that clearly Icelandair wants to see Wow out of the picture, but if Indigo does end up supporting Wow. What does that mean for Icelandair?
1: Well, uh, you know, it means things are going to remain difficult for for a while. Um, but at least it'll be facing uh, a very presumably rational competitor. I mean, gosh, part of Wow, you know, restoring itself to profitability has to mean uh, some kind of rationalization of of capacity, just really slamming the brakes on growth, uh, and that would be good for 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 both of those airlines. So, you know, who knows what else would happen in terms of just the way the network would look right now. There's a ton of overlap between the two networks. It's kind of hard to imagine how, how that would change. I mean, in the end, you know, what are you, you going to do from from Iceland? You're probably going to do a lot of things that uh, both these airlines did. I mean, WoW's business plan, basically, if you look at it, they just kind of copied uh, Icelandair's network, but they, they did everything with just far lower costs because they were a, a uh, I mean, partly just because they're a brand new airline. Going out and hiring all new people, uh, and then they have the you know, the higher seat density and the rest of it um, to get started. Yeah, so I think that's Iceland. best hope that um, you know, if you think Wow has just sort of been irresponsible and growing too wildly, and you know, maybe in some ways. Looking like not the most disciplined airline, um, that maybe that would change with Indigo in the picture, and that in the end, you know, we've heard airlines around the world say this in in different contexts that they would rather face a a um you know a, a, a rational. Uh, competitor, even if it means a shrewder competitor, you know, the current situation clearly hasn't, hasn't worked for Icelandair. So absent Wow Air just not being in the picture as an independent airline, which would have been the case through either a merger or had Wow just um, gone out of business. Uh, yeah. Um, Icelandair, this at least gives it hope that it's going to be um, facing somebody who, uh, who would, 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 Slow the growth to 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 uh, you know essentially shrink itself to prof- profitability, or if not shrink, at least uh, just uh, just stop growing until uh, it, it can justify that growth with profits.
0: Moving from one cold place to another, let's go to Russia. I want to talk about Aeroflot and more specifically its aggressive growth plans. This is an airline that has 267 planes. In the next five years, they want to nearly double that to 520. Is that reasonable? Well, uh, you know, Russia is a giant country, um, w- which
1: is in, in many ways, underserved in in, in terms of airline service. Uh, yeah, just flights per capita, much much less than than uh, than what you'd see in in other large countries. But part of it is just policy, you know. Not a lot of tourism to Russia from outside, hard to get a visa, all those kinds of things. And, you know, if if those things were to change, it would help. You know, big domestic market that can continue to be, uh, be developed for Aeroflot. All kinds of further sixth freedom potential, you know, the geography. We were just talking before about the Iceland. There, uh, Iceland's favorable geography. I mean, that's kind of for for just this like this part of the world. Russia, Moscow in particular, uh, where Aeroflot's where biggest hub is at uh, Sheremetyevo Airport, has really interesting global geography for all kinds of of, of connecting traffic flows. I, I flew several years ago from Miami to Ulambatar. Mongolia, right? You know where there's not, you know there there are only so many options, and Aeroflot's one of them, and and uh, you know there, there there are lots of others uh, uh, like that out there, and relative to their potential, um, they they you know they haven't they're getting there, but they haven't done a lot uh, with that. Uh, so so yeah, you know if they can continue to grow that, continue get a, getting better airport facilities, which has been happening. You know that, that that would all help, and and yeah, you would you would want some just just better better public policy. You know, R- Russia being less of a pariah in the world than than it is um than it is right now. Th- th- is it possible? Yeah, is it reasonable in terms of being able to do it profitably? You know, probably will depend on on Aeroflot being able to manage all that growth, which isn't easy managing that level of growth, and then just uh, just some other things in the world going going favorably uh, you know low oil prices if, if they persist of course not good for uh, for 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 Russia's economy by the way just just sort of looking at another airline that has it's not the same uh, the geography is not exactly the same but you know, they compete for a lot of the same kinds of overlapping traffic overlapping traffic flows but you know, Turkish Airlines for example which is the ultimate everywhere to everywhere airline you know serves more Destinations in, in the world than any other airline, and another airline that hey, if you are going to fly from you know Miami to Ulaanbaatar, uh, Turkish is one of those few others that would that would uh, get you there with just one stop. But if you look, for example, at, at uh, service to North America, Turkish looking in in DO schedules here uh, has has nine U.S. destinations. Uh, Aeroflot has just four. Uh, so that gives you an idea of, of, of the kinds of opportunities that could be uh, out there for, for Aeroflot if they start uh, sort of maximizing their, their long haul potential.
0: Speaking of maximizing, we've got some good news out of Greece. Aegean Airlines had a great third quarter. Their operating profit margin was as terrific 28%.
1: Yeah, down from 30% last year, not much of a drop uh, compared to uh, to a lot of other airlines around the world. Uh, that 28% also, uh, look, not not far below Ryanair's 34% or Wizz Air's 30%. Now, look, they're not going to come that close on a year-round basis because they'll have more of a drop uh, in the winter. But um, but still, good to be in that company and, and good to see Aegean holding up as well as they are Uh Their revenues were up 9% for the quarter compared to a year earlier on just uh, 4% more capacity, more available sea kilometer capacity, uh, costs were up 11%. So that differential between you know, the costs up 11%, revenues up just 9% ex- explains that uh, slightly deteriorating uh, margin. Uh, and it was all fuel as far as why the costs were up. Fuel costs up uh, uh, 27%. Remember, you know, we have to remind ourselves, when we're talking about third quarter earnings. I mean, the headlines here in the past you know, month and a half or so have been all about falling fuel. Well, the headlines about fuel, anyway, have been all about falling fuel, and all kinds of other headlines too here, but uh, falling fuel prices. But when we're talking about third quarter quarter earnings. It was all very much in in an inflationary fuel environment, and so yeah, AGN capturing demand to, to Greece's islands and focusing also more on trying to convince people to visit Athens. Uh, you know, all kinds of history, obviously in Athens. A lot of people when they think about Greece, think about the islands, but um, a lot to see in uh, in Athens itself, obviously in terms of um. All kinds of ancient uh, historical sites. And, and so uh, Aegean's focusing uh,
0: on that as well. In Mexico, where they have some historical sites as well. And uh, we discussed last episode, the industry is clearly struggling. They are enduring some more bad news. Mexico City's Mexico City's new airport, which is one third into its construction, may never be finished as Mexico's new president has put a stop to construction. Seth, is there anything to say here? Uh, I mean, it's uh, you know, just just a
1: well, I'm just gonna say disaster. you hate to use that word when when you're talking about thankfully, not not life and death matters, but uh, you know, for. Uh for the country and for the airlines, uh, a real mess. It's it's sort of a few times in recent weeks has seemed to be, you know, maybe on again, but then off again, you know, we're talking about a, a president here who, um, well, <laughs> I think there are some more macro things than even just airline economics that, that uh, there might be sort of lacking in understanding here. Um, and, and this is, this is something where they're talking about, well, you know, we'll just open up. There's this old military, you know, landing strip, uh, but uh, uh Santa Lucia—it's called. But, uh, yeah, hey, open that up to some internet. It's just to to—it's yeah, commercial traffic. Toluca, which is the alternative uh, airport, outside uh, Mexico City. Yeah, let's have a mix of domestic and international flights from all of those. But uh, yeah, anybody knows anything about airline networks? As everybody listening to this podcast does, and probably. Some people who don't even pay very much attention, uh, you know, knows that uh, you know having a concentration at one airport is very important. You know, it, it certainly wouldn't help uh, Aeromexico to be able to run, you know, its domestic flights for one airport and international from another, for example. You know, so it, it, if you know, I mean, look, I guess if some air, airlines moved over to one of the other airports and then Aeromexico could do more at the main airport and. You know, and so on. That, that would be one thing. You know, there, there was a reason why they were building a new airport there, and if it's really off, it definitely lowers the upside for the industry in Mexico. Not to mention the broader implications that it's having for uh, for Mexico's economy. You know, all of a sudden, this just looks like a less trustworthy country you know all that investment that was going in there uh, you know the the peso dropped to new lows and and um, and so forth so I guess anything's still possible you'd have to be it would be the product of of hope rather than experience i guess at this point to uh, to 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 think that the airport is 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 going to uh, to perceive
0: while we're in mexico one more thing to touch on last episode we talked about how viva aerobus is beating volaris in terms of operating margin and we talked about some of the reasons why but an astute listener emailed us to point out there might be another reason aside from the airline operations themselves.
1: The, a key point here is Viva is a, is a privately held airline, so when you look at their their financials, you don't have as much information as you have when looking at Volaris, or Mexico, or you know, all the other publicly traded airlines around the world. And with Viva, there's in their financials, there's some amount of um, benefit that they get from sale leaseback deals that they've done. You know, there's there's this line for other operating expenses, but where it's actually sort of a, a net benefit to them instead of being, you know, money laid out, it's a negative expense, in other words, revenue. And it's related to these, um, to these sale leaseback deals. And it's you, you know, because they don't provide the detail, it's it's impossible to say exactly what that adds up to, you know, potentially, I mean, just looking in very broad terms, if you try to you Just kind of guess, and that's all, all you can really do. How how much of what's in there could be attributable to that? Yeah, it it, it could be several points of operating margin, you know, which could you know when you look at uh, the third quarter numbers, where let me go in there, you know, Valaris was like a three and a half percent operating margin, and Viva like an eight and a half percent operating margin. It's about five points apart. Potentially, not knowing exactly what's going on there. You know that could close a lot of that gap to where Valaris you know, isn't performing so much meaningfully worse. If you could exclude what's going on there from Viva's numbers, which which you can't because you just don't know how much of of, uh, of what's in there is is due to that. Uh, as opposed to just how much is due to other things that are going on at other airlines. And look, that's um, that's true of other private airlines around the world. I mean, just this we, just this week, um, Frontier and and Sun Country, for example, their numbers have emerged. I'm sure you'll want to talk about that in a future show. We're busy uh, crunching those for for the newsletter. We'll have them in an airline clean newsletter is coming Monday. And it's kind of the same thing there, where you know they their private airlines they file in the case of the U.S. They file their numbers with the Department of Transportation. The numbers come out, but we don't have all kinds of details that we would. Have from other airlines, and so we, um, you know, it's, it's still information that's that's worth having. Um, but buyer beware, same as uh, as is the case for, I mean, in early like Emirates. Let's say you know, audited financials, but not the same level of detail as we get from you know Lufthansa or or, or or Delta or somebody like that.
0: Moving from Mexico to Europe. Seth, do you know what SAS stands for?
1: Uh, Scandinavian Airlines System?
0: Yes. It also stands for surviving airline system because SAS is proving to be a survivor. For one thing, they are still here. That was not a certainty too long ago for another. They had a nice August through October quarter with 8% with an 8% operating profit margin down from 10% the year before. That's not bad in the faces in the face of some real challenges.
1: Yeah. Fuel foremost among those challenges as for, for many other airlines, uh, around the world. Um, 38 percent rise in uh, fuel outlays uh, driving costs up twelve percent overall uh, revenues up nine percent uh, so you know that differential there explains that that uh, that decline as you said from from 10 percent down to eight uh, percent for the August through October quarter that that sort of weird calendar uh, quarter that they have, uh, but that nine uh, percent rise in revenues came on just two percent more ASK capacity. So from that perspective, uh, doing uh, really well. You look back twelve months. This is an airline that's running six percent annual margins. So you know, re- really impressive for for uh, just sort of this mid sized European airline. It's bigger than many, but certainly a lot smaller than the than the big three airline groups. And one that, yeah, I mean, it was it was no foregone conclusion that they were going to survive. You know, back uh, early this decade, they were. Uh, it was. I mean, I, I remember it was. You know, there was this night where, where they were down to, you know, just just hours left potentially to get the deals that they ended up getting from from uh, uh, from their unions. And um, when you look at what they've done, I mean, a lot of it's just cost cutting, just hammering down this cost round after round of cost cutting. Uh, you know, painful for for uh, stakeholders. But um, you know, it's it's what kept the airline around. Um, but some of what they got, it's not just you know lower pay rates and stuff. Yeah, you know, they got the, the ability to schedule the airline much more seasonally. Uh, and when you are when you have your hubs as far north as they do, um, you know Copenhagen, Stockholm, Oslo, uh, that's a really big deal. They're running, uh, you you look at DO schedule data, um, 60% more ASK capacity in July than during January these days. Half decade ago, it was like 29% more. So a much more seasonal airline. One one of the really happy stories uh, in the industry, especially when you consider... Uh, yeah, I mean, another thing wasn't a foregone conclusion. If, if somebody had said a decade ago, you know, who's, who who has the better prospects, Norwegian or SAS, right? The you know the feisty low cost carrier or, uh, or this kind of stodgy looking uh, legacy airline, um, I think a lot of people would have thought Norwegian. I mean, I might have um, before Norwegian just kind of lost its mind, and so, uh, so doing doing well. I mean, look, they they have challenges. I mean, I mentioned those three hubs. That's just kind of a, a an ongoing challenge that they have. They have three. Smallish hubs. Uh, so I talked about it before in, in Mexico City. You know, the benefit of having one hub. Um, obviously, if you are a giant uh, airline, like some of the big airline groups around the world, uh, sure you have multiple hubs. If you're SAS, um, you might wish that you had one, but they have three. It's just the that's 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 the structure there. And uh, and you know they do benefit for now from the fact that Scandinavia is relatively um, unaffected by some of the other. Short haul LCC battles that are out there. They have to deal with nor- Norwegian. You know Ryanair is not really there, so that's kind of an ever present threat, and that matters a lot for their earnings. When when sort of industry capacity in their neighborhood is subdued, they do well. When other airlines start growing, that does pressure uh, their their earnings too. They're not, by the way. You know another thing. I'm um, not a part of uh, any of the. The, the the big global uh, joint ventures, right? So even Finnair, uh, much smaller than SAS, is a part of uh, the transatlantic advent, uh, transatlantic venture, right? With um, IAG and American, or the, the ones in Japan with IAG. Um, SAS is not a part of the venture with uh, the of Group, United, and uh, and Air Canada. You, even though in a perfect world, they they might like to be.
0: Sometimes we like to say that we want to take the pulse of an airline. In this case, it's a little too accurate. Have you checked the news today? Is FastJet still with us?
1: Yeah, they are today. Um, but they had said several days ago that they might not have the cash to last uh, a week. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's one that wouldn't surprise anybody to uh, to wake up one morning and, and see the headline that they have finally um, you know, s- succumbed. And really, the news would be that it's not such big news, right? I mean, this is an airline that was supposed to really redefine uh, a, a market, uh, you know, Africa, one of the last frontiers. You know, they they said low cost, you know, the low cost business model couldn't work. All kinds of places around the globe where it ended up working, but this is one where um, you know where where it, it hasn't worked. And at this point, you'd be talking about the, the 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 closure of a very small airline. So you know, minimal impact, but that's. Kind of the story. The story is that it never, regardless of of whether it limps along a little while,
0: while longer, never managed to fulfill its its uh, its promise. Let's talk about U.S. carriers. While earnings certainly haven't been disappointing in the U.S., we have seen a general trend of declining margins in recent quarters. But in recent weeks, a few airlines have upgraded their guidance, suggesting an improved outlook. Seth, are we going to see the trend reverse in the fourth quarter? Yeah, I, I think we're going to see some some airlines
1: finally, in terms of those year-over-year comps, having more, more profitable uh, quarters here, especially because of fuel costs. You know, the... The long-term impact of fuel of lower fuel costs can be mixed, right? Because airlines often start growing again. Uh, and then that additional capacity tends to push downward pressure on airfares and so that they lose revenues and so forth. But the immediate impact is, you know, when fuel costs drop today, the only thing that happened is to an airline is that it pays less for fuel, right? All the capacity that's in the marketplace today was planned. The back when fuel is more expensive. You know, people flying around on airline tickets that they bought back when fuel was more expensive. Uh, and, and and so that just goes... I mean, the the, the differential, the cheaper fuel just go really flows straight to the bottom line. Uh, very helpful. Uh, it's particularly helpful when there's also a good revenue story. So an airline like Spirit, which put out a, a very bullish uh, investor update, uh, m- mostly just about revenue, talking about all kinds of good revenue... Uh, stories that they have to tell and then on top of that you know you, you had uh, fuel costs dropping as they've been dropping you have to feel good about that Delta put out a, a the, the an update sort of where they unlike spirit they didn't sort of blow away the top end of their guidance it was sort of toward the lower end of their their revenue their unit revenue growth but it was you know it was within the range unit revenues growing uh, while fuel costs are dropping you know that that Likely to uh, add up to for them and others uh, a more a more profitable quarter. Alaska Airlines is another. You know they've they've had a very difficult year. Uh, finally, some good revenue trends. So again, you overlay that with happening fuel costs. It's all pretty good. The exception is Hawaiian Airlines. Um, you know that market. Well, like we said about air, uh Hawaii, uh, that uh, Iceland earlier, right? It's uh it's as true of a warm weather. Tourist destination as a cold one that, uh, you know, uh, even a popular place, there's such a thing as too much capacity in Hawaii has seen all kinds of growth. In and uh, a Hawaiian which had been one of the, the really good stories in terms of uh, profitability, uh, th- things are... are trending very much the other direction right
0: now for that. Real quick, overall how bullish are you on the US airline market? You know, right
1: now it, it things are going very well. That's that's clear. If fuel costs stay low or if they continue dropping, uh, you know, for as long as fuel costs drop, uh, it's always this huge tailwind because it's just because you're always sort of um the way it works is, you know, fuel price movements eventually lead to Capacity movements, and then then you know an impact on on the fare environment. But there's lag time, right? So when fuel is going up in price, um, it really squeezes airlines because yeah, eventually they might probably will grow less, and it'll put up more pressure on airfares. But the immediate impact is that they're paying more for jet fuel, you know, in, 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 even though fares are rather low. And when fuel prices are dropping, it's the opposite. Uh, it's what I said before. I mean, just just you know, just this this huge cost saving straight to the bottom line. So as long as fuel prices. Continue declining, you know that's that's what you have. If somehow they go a lot lower from where they are right now, if they just kind of stabilize here, then this next quarter or two uh, could be the best of it because again, eventually you get that equilibrium where you get more capacity and lower fares, and where airlines can still do very well. You know, the the uh, lower revenue will compensate. Somewhat uh, sort of mitigate the uh, the benefit of the lower fuel prices, and of course, a lot of this depends on um, you know, what's going to happen with the economy. Here, are we at this you know some kind of inflection point here where the economy is getting worse um, or not? Uh, obviously, we see what's happened in the uh, uh, global stock markets in, in, over the past week or so, but um, you know, is that indicative of something broader, or is that just uh, people nervous about? U.S., China, and Brexit, and and, uh, and so forth, and then they'll get past that, and things will be okay. So uh, that that's always an important part of the uh, the story, too. But you know, when it comes to airline fortunes, there is nothing more important than fuel costs, and that right now is a a good story uh, in in the U.S. and and really everywhere.
0: All right we'll wrap up episode 111 right there as always if you like the show share it with your colleagues they can subscribe to the airline weekly lounge through itunes stitcher or wherever they get their podcasts they can also subscribe at airlineweekly.com for seth kaplan i'm jason cottrell thanks for spending some time with us